All right, can we open up our Bibles now to the Gospel of John, chapter 13? John, chapter 13. We are in a series uh, called Seven Shaping Virtues. We're looking at seven virtues that as a Sovereign Grace Church and our family churches, we desire to, uh, to, um, to see displayed in our life, uh, out of our life into our church communities and obviously out into the mission that God's called us to. Um, now, these aren't the only virtues that scriptures would encourage, but ones we want to distinctly um, experience by the fruit of the gospel in our lives. We've considered three so far, humility, gratitude, encouragement, and today we're going to look at servanthood. Again, these are not uh, virtues we manifest perfectly, but ones we, we, we I, I, by God's grace, are present in our church, but we want to experience want to cultivate and grow in for the glory of Jesus, for our joy, uh, to love others well and their joy, and of course, for the lost around us. During Passion Week of 20, the year 2013, the, the head of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, uh, created quite a stir by something he did. Uh, one of the articles highlights um, what took place. During a Holy Thursday ritual, Pope Francis continued to break the traditions of the Vatican. Pope Francis washed and kissed the feet of 12, interesting number, young people at a youth prison. Among them were two women and two Muslims. The act was a break with Catholic tradition. This foot washing, this rich ritual, was, was the goal of was to model what Jesus did with his disciples on that that. Um, week prior to his crucifixion with his disciples, that, that uh, this ritualist act is one that many traditions and denominations practice. Yet, yet modern popes um, have done this same foot washing during Holy Week on this Thursday, but only did so washing the feet of 12 of his fellow priests, and it's usually at a basilica. So not commoners, not those in prison, not women, and not Muslims for that matter. Uh, one Catholic in Rome was quoted in the article in light of what he did. He said, they said, I must say I'm happy to see a pope who doesn't think he is God on earth and teaches what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago, teaching the, church to, to, uh, teaching the church what seemed to have been forgotten years ago. Now, I, I share this story not to make much of Pope Francis um, and his example, um, I, there's merit here. I'm not sure how they chose these 12 people, if they like volunteered or, or what took place, but, but I do so and to highlight the fact that this foot washing, because it was done by a very prominent religious leader, um, it was against tradition and who he did it to that drew so much attention and an uproar. And I, and I was very um, taken by this quote in, in what, what they, this Catholic individual found very interesting. He doesn't think he is God on earth. Obviously, he was pointing to the expression of humility. Well, well, today we're going to be considering this passage that this story comes from and considering Jesus' example and what he did with his 12 disciples. And yet, and what, is, what is startling, what is really the greater shock and awe, truly the one who was God on earth, the, the Son of God, the God of the universe, creator of the world, is the one who stooped down as a slave to wash the feet of his disciples. That is the startling story. And his act teaches us the purpose of his coming. It, it points to his gospel 
and ultimately for us to truly understand what servanthood means. So let's read this, this narrative this morning, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to, to be with us. We're going to look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put out on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your example. We thank you for what you achieved in, in your true sacrificial serving that we're going to consider this morning. And, and as we think about the virtues, we, we think about wanting to, to grow and what, what really is fruit from your work in the gospel in our life that, that displays your character and your love. Lord, we, we realize that, that, that we cannot produce any of this in our, ourself. This is produced by the Spirit. And so, Lord, we, we want to grow in serving like you, to grow in servanthood. But we know this, if that to, that to happen, it is a work in us by your Spirit. So do that today, Lord. Form in us Form in us that which is not automatic and natural in our hearts, what we know that comes from you. And so come by your Spirit, teach us, and make us like you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we consider this, this virtue of servanthood, I, I want us to reflect on what Jesus is doing in this, this passage. We're not going to cover everything that is in this beautiful story 
Uh, but I think two things we can consider that Jesus is showing us in this act and teaching, two important pieces that point us to our pursuit of servanthood. One is the act, his act of serving points to his greater act of his self-sacrifice on the cross. So this act is a foreshadowing of his cross and suffering to come, which informs all of our serving. And then secondly is that Jesus commands all his disciples to go and do likewise, to serve in his humble, sacrificial way. So we need to consider these are inextricably linked. His serving and his cross, his cross, his gospel, and our serving. They, they are always together. So, so here we have both this motivation for our true serving and servanthood, the, the love of God and the gospel in Jesus, and this command which comes to us as an empowerment from his example for his disciples. So we're going to look at those, those two things. So firstly, true servanthood begins with Jesus' sacrifice in his gospel. Now, I just imagine for a moment us like here in this, this place. We're, we're in Jerusalem. It is, it is Jesus' final week. These are his, really his final hours. He's having this Passover meal with his disciples. Hours from his arrest in that garden and his death. His hour has come for his mission to be expressed on the cross. And Jesus, he's there with his disciples. They're all around this table. And of course, in this culture, right, the, the table would be very low to the ground. They're probably lounging with their, their, their feet and body kind of extended away from the table. It's the end of the meal, we're told. And maybe there's a sort of like a lull in the conversation. Maybe they just had this feast of a meal and they're just relaxed. You know, maybe somebody's cutting up, telling a joke. I don't know what this feels like. But Jesus, he rises from dinner. And he takes off his outer garments, his, his cloak, and, and this, there's, he has probably like a, a, a piece of garment that's like a tunic. And he puts a towel around his waist, and he fills a basin with water. And he, he begins to, to go around the room and doing something that is unthinkable and unma- unimaginable that he would do. He begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, this was a radical act that he was doing. I've read, and maybe some of you parents have read through the Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible many times with your kids. I cover to cover, I don't know how many times for us. Um, and there's one story, when I consider this narrative, I always go to that story in my mind about the servant king. And there's this, there's this wonderful illustration at the top of that story of these, these ranky, stinky feet. And it's like this, this street, and there's animals, and there's these brown, steamy piles all in the street. And the, the, the story goes like this. It says, now the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They wore only sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. And I, I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean really stinky dirty. With all those cows and horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on your feet. Someone had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant. Only the lowliest servant. Astonishing. Certain Jewish writing would even say that Jewish Jewish slaves wouldn't be required to do this act. Only Gentile slaves. And there's historical research that even had been done that there's no incident in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of any superior 
washing the feet of an inferior. The one with all power, the king, sent from God, the the son of God, the God on earth who came to love his own to the end, wielded his power to kneel down and wash feet. Jesus knew why he was there. This was his purpose. His humble, sacrificial serving death was being fulfilled within these very hours. His serving, giving up his life for others. This was his purpose. We see this in verse 3. He knew his identity. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. You see how those are connected? He knew this was part of his purpose, his identity, that he only aimed to fulfill the Father's will in his sacrificial serving. He knew where he came from, who he was, what he came to do, and therefore he rose to serve and to wash and clean filthy feet. And of course, Peter, astonished, embarrassed by this, our bold, brash disciple, what? You wash my feet? Never. He had this tendency to kind of tell Jesus, never. Like, no. Like, never. Peter did not see the symbolic reality of what Jesus was doing. Jesus was washing their feet, as we noted, as a foreshadowing of his cross, where his washing and cleansing was pointing to a greater cleansing and washing, the atoning of sins that he would do and on his sacrifice, as a sacrifice on the cross. It was not just filthy feet, but the gross darkness of sin that permeated humanity's heart and the world. And he would take that upon himself as the ultimate servant. Again, Peter did not understand. In response, he said, and Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. Then he's like, bathe all of me. Wash all of me then. And he told him, you don't understand this yet, but you will one day, and they would later. Jesus told him, unless you let me wash you, you cannot be part of me. There would be no salvation. There would be no access to Christ's saving work unless by faith we trust on Christ and receive what he would do on the cross and cleanse us, what we desperately need, the filth of sin within our hearts. And he points, Jesus points to the fact that there are some that are not clean, meaning Judas, who had no part of the cleansing that was in that room. What was motivating this? What was driving Jesus? Verse 1, it says, having loved his own who were there in the world, he loved them to the end. What would, what would cause him to stoop in that way? Profound, boundless love for our boundless sin. His love motivating this reality of what he was doing, to love them to the end. This serving by suffering in order to save was a fulfillment of what Mark would point to in Mark 10. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came as a servant. He came as a servant, though he was a king, to give his life as a sacrifice. What we, we just heard a moment ago in Philippians, he emptied himself by taking the form of 
a servant, a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus shows us his foot washing, in his foot washing, that he came as a servant. He is God who came to humbly serve, to humbly come all the way to the point, to the point of death on a cross. And it's by that cross we are made clean. Clean by faith in Jesus. And because we participate in the cross, because we are in Jesus, receiving his cleansing, united with him, we are to be like him and follow him. That identity changes everything. That changes our purpose. It changes why and how we can serve. Remember back in verse 3, we looked at Jesus knowing that he was sent from the Father he had given him all things, and he was going to go back. He, his, his identity informed this act of serving. We, when we know our identity, who we are in Christ, it compels us to serve like him. But we, we forget that. We, we drift from that. When we forget who we are in Jesus, it impacts our servanthood. Meaning, if I fail to live from that or I am insecure in my identity in him, I will always be fighting for some other sort of identity. My respect, my title. Well, if I do this or if I serve this way, I might lose my status. Remember the disciples? They had that problem. Who is the greatest among us? Remember that argument? This is the reality. They did not see who they were in Christ at that moment. So if me stooping, washing dirty feet threatens my glory, then I won't do it. Yet, if I'm secure in who I am in Christ, I can realize that all things are from God. All things are for God. I am secure in Jesus' grace and mercy and love. Therefore, I'm free to give and serve and not protect my identity or my status, and I'm eager to serve like him. And if that means loss of my status. So rather than there being, rather than my security in him hindering my ability to serve, it empowers me to serve. This is why servanthood all begins with who Jesus is and what he did. It doesn't begin with our giftings. It doesn't begin with our preferences. It begins with Jesus and what he has done. And because of what he's done and because we are in Christ, we are called to follow him. And this is what he gets to in our sort of second part of our text in verse 12. Servanthood is mandated and empowered by Jesus for all his disciples. Let's look at this again. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? They, I'm glad they all got quiet there because they didn't really understand what was going on. But he, he loves them. He's teaching them. He's teaching us. You call me teacher in Lord, which is just high status, the a rabbi of high status, Lord, Master. If you call me these things, you are right. But if then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. An example. An example. Why? That you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is their Lord and their teacher, and yet showing us 
Status or rank doesn't determine if I should serve or not. The greatest to the least in the world's eyes, titles, status, money, whatever that might be, this is what we are all to do as disciples of Jesus. We serve like him. The master and slave both serve. The sender and the messenger both serve. And because he serves, we go and do likewise. Do as I have done to you. So what does this mean? Does this mean we should regularly be washing each other's feet following a community group meeting? I don't know. Maybe you should do that. Well, some traditions, denominations, emphasize the actual practice and make this very stark ritual, as we saw in with the Pope. And I've participated in foot washings. I've done them, and they've been meaningful. I've had some very meaningful moments with this. But yet, a ritual alone doesn't make us servants like Jesus. I could wash your feet and yet be a hard-hearted, proud man. It does not change, but it points, this act points to something deeper than the foot washing itself. It's not a ritual we must practice, but a heart posture that we must live from. It's from our hearts, what Jesus is getting at. When you are in me, when you're with me, when you understand my love, when you understand what I've done in the gospel, it transforms us into what Jesus wants with us and who, his heart in us, and we live humble, self-sacrificially like him to serve others for their joy. It sets us free to serve others because really in that act of serving others, we are really loving God. We are loving him. It is an act of worship. It's what Hebrews 9 points to us, the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We are serving God. In Jesus, we are servants of God in acts of worship. And as we serve God, um, and in our service to God, we are serving others in his love through the motivation and the example of the gospel. That is the why. And that's why we see it transform these disciples. It transformed the New Testament church. Servanthood marked them. They love to be identified as servants. Look at some of these examples. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 16.1, I commend to you your sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. Colossians 1.7, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is faithful, minister of Christ. Colossians 4.7, Tychicus, he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, Paul refers to as a good servant of Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle, of, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Servants of Jesus. Some commended for their serving, their care, their risk-taking, their sacrifice, their love, their hard-working, their refreshing of hearts. These apostles are penning the Holy Scripture, presenting themselves as what they wanted to be and longed to be identified for. Servants, as Paul would say, servants of Christ, stewards of the gospel. That's all we are. Servants of Jesus. Moses was called God's servant. David was called God's servant. The apostles were servants. Servants, servants, servants. All reflecting and pointing who to the ultimate servant of God, Jesus Christ. This is, our, this is our call. This is our privilege. 
It is really the, the privilege to love, self-sacrifice for the joy and good of others. Serving is really loving. It is, it is our act of love flowing from the gospel. God's love in Christ setting us free from self-serving, proud lives that we just want to orientate around us and us alone. It, it sets us free from the, the Google map where I am the pin and everything revolves around me. I, I, I'm guilty. I want, in the evening, on the weekend, and the, like this, I just want people to wait on Nate. I want people to serve me. And I need the love of God to break through my heart so that I'm not at the center of that, but others are. And God's power, his love comes in and does that for us. And then it calls us to it, like Galatians 5, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Through love serve. Through love be compelled as servants. His love shapes our serving. Again, our serving, this does not originate in us, our natural gifting, or our temperament, or our feelings, but in Jesus, by his Spirit, through his love being formed in us. And in that, by his Spirit, through his grace, he does empower us. He does give gifts so that we can serve each other well and effectively. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, and there are a varieties of service. There's a variety of ways that this, this manifestation of God's love, His grace through His Spirit, engages our hearts to then love and serve others. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, so that we could serve. We could love. God's grace flowing through us, giving us gifts, his presence empowering a variety of teaching and serving and ministry and leadership. Each serves, and as they serve as an act of love, it builds and strengthens the church. As I thought about this concept, my mind went to a bridge of all things. A bridge, Golden Gate Bridge. Golden Gate Bridge is in San Francisco. You likely all know this. It is, it is about one mile long, it's one of the largest suspension bridges in the world. It's iconic, famous. It's an amazing bridge. I've walked on it. We've driven over it many times. And it's a suspension bridge in that it's suspended by two massive cables that run from one end to the other. It sustains an incredible amount of weight. Uh, it, about 112,000 vehicles a day cross this bridge. The, the pressures of the environment, like 100-mile-power winds coming off the, the water to earthquakes. But it's built to hold this kind of weight, its durability, its flexibility. And what's amazing about these two cables is they're actually made up of numerous little wires. You can see a picture here. It's kind of a cross-section of this, these cables. You can see within them smaller strands of wire. E each of these cables are made up of 27,572 smaller strands of wires, which total about 80,000 miles of, of wire, is apparently estimated. So, individual wires making up these giant cables, and we realize the strength of that cable is only made possible by each of those doing its thing, connected, serving, holding up, stabilizing, fulfilling its purpose. 
And as I think about the way that God so designed our serving as well, as, as each individual is bound together in Jesus, we are there to support and encourage and serve one another in such a way that we can, we can weather storms, that we can, we can serve by bearing each other's loads, that we can serve in, when the hard impacts our life. We can care, we can encourage, we can disciple, supporting all of that serving towards a mission, the mission of God. But each piece, each strand, I don't remember how many thousands and thousands, millions of rivets are in this bridge, are needful, are needful. All of our serving to do what God has called us to do. And church, I, I, when I prepared this week, I just couldn't help but think about you as evidences of God's grace in this. I, I started a list, and I even like invited Hillary. It's like, let's, let's work through a list of like people we just know that just like served like a really long time in certain areas of the church. And then like, I'm just like, okay, well, this person, man, they've served like in kids for like 20 years. And they're like, no kids in the house, and they're still like caring for babies in the nursery. And, and, and this person's like been on the welcome team for like 15 years. And this person's been doing sound for like a decade or two decades. And, and the list just kept on going. And it like, I, would, at the, I was listing everyone on that list. Evidences of God's grace in you serving like Jesus. Motivated by God's love. Joy in what you're doing, what you do. Self-sacrificial in what you do. Discipling people who prayed, gifts of faith, making meals, doing, doing lowly things for the joy of others. The eagerness and joy in which you exhibit God's heart in your servanthood makes much of him. It is a joy for me to experience myself. Our interconnectedness as his body, each joint, muscle, organ, just like a body, like a body it, what it does is it, it, it shows us, it mandates we all serve. If each joint is necessary and each part of the body is connected to the body, it, is, it necessis, necessitates servanthood by every part of the body. And as we do, as we love, God's intentions of us growing up and loving and joy takes place. All his workers, all servants, no one on the bench, and, and all of us doing it, just as Jesus calls us as servants, we, it really helps us realize, who, who are we? Who, who am I? Right? right? Uh, we're, we are equally serving. We are equally Jesus' servants. Master, slave. Messenger, the sender. This is, this is all we are. We're just servants. I, I love Paul's example for us, always drawing our attention to that as he's writing even the, the infighting servant problem, churches like Corinthian, the Corinthians. And he says, who then is Apollos? Who is Paul? Who am I? Who am I but servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? We're just God's fellow workers. We're serving along. We're serving together as God's agents, workers. We're just, we're just one of those wires. We're just one of those wires. That's all we are. But loved and deeply needed. Necessary. And he's called me, and he, he's called you, and he uses you, and he wants you, all of us serving for his glory and for the joy of others. And this is reality. Our call by Jesus to humbly, self-sacrificial serving, it, it's, it's, it's challenging at times. It's hard. 
It's messy. Remember the filthy feet? The filthy feet story was a helpful picture for us. It reminds us when Jesus says, go and do likewise, and we follow his example, we're doing something that's hard, that's not easy, that we, we don't feel like it at times, that that, that, that servant calling feels, feels icky. Right? Like, I don't know, where, where, where is the, the ick for you right now that maybe you're feeling? That may be the place you need to move toward in servanthood. I know at times that's that thing. What am I wanting to avoid in serving? It's, it's very likely the place where God's calling me to go low. Where, where's, the, where's the ick that God wants to pour out his grace for you so that Christ would be formed in you as you serve? And it's hard. At times, it's, it's, it's serving difficult situations or difficult people. Those were called to love. What, what is amazing about this story what Jesus did with these disciples. Do you remember what, which disciples were there? It was, it was all 12 of the disciples. D. Carson writes this comment in observing of this text. With such power and status at his disposal, we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and to devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine wrath. Instead, he washes his disciples' feet, including the feet of the betrayer. That's startling. He, he washed his feet just as he washed Peter's feet. Jesus, the Son of God, uses his power not for an unstoppable blast of wrath, but to humbly, sacrificially serve even a betrayer to display his love. And this is the truth, church. He did that on the cross for each and every one of us. He did likewise with us. He embraced his bloody cross so enemies could be washed by his grace so we could then move towards those with the same kind of love. Undeserving. Undeserving for us. Undeserving for others. But it is with his love that we can do this. And so we likewise require his love to be super, supernaturally formed in us. We need his help. We need the filling of his spirit to serve and to love because it's hard and messy and it's serving all people and yet servanthood, like Jesus, when we do, we experience blessing. Look at verse 17. Jesus told him, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus' promise is if we pursue servanthood like him, we will be blessed. We will know blessing. We will know blessing, blessings of obeying, blessings of knowing the joy of having, laying our preferences down and our time and our money and our energy down for the joy of others, blessing of using our gifts for his glory and the building up of his church and the advancement of the gospel it is more blessed to give than receive. Jesus is promising great blessing on those who serve like him. That is a gift. It's not just simply obedience. It's him adorning and pouring out blessings on us in that. So church, as we keep our hearts fixed on Jesus and his gospel, and as we, as we look to him so we may be filled with his presence, the power to do and serve like him, we won't simply hear his command to, to go do, serve, and feel like it's an obligatory ritual. But 
He will fill us with his very heart. He will fill us with his very desire. And we will love and serve like him, and there will be great joy. We will know his deep joy, and those we serve will know his deep joy. And so may he, he keep doing that in us for his glory, for our joy. Amen? Amen. Lord, we, we, thank, you for, we thank you for putting in our hearts your spirit, your, your spirit that would, would guide us and lead us and empower us to, to know your love and to move towards those around us with the same kind of love that you loved us. And we thank you that you love your disciples all the way to the end and you will love us all the way to the end. You're loving us right now and it is that love that, that motivates and fills our heart as we consider your greatest example and that is your cross of what self-sacrificial serving looks like and, and we can do it. We can walk in that and, and God, thank you for the, just the marks of that, the displays of that all over cross of grace and would you just keep forming us in that, keep filling us up with that, Lord. Um, help us to do the hard serving that, that goes against what our flesh wants or desires want. But we know when we do, Lord, you, you're pleased and you're honored, Lord, and there's blessing that falls towards us. And so keep making us like you, Jesus. Great servant, humble servant, King. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. Amen.